Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, it's time. Welcome in. It's David Summers and it's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, let's step back into the ring, back into time as we get wall to wall, treetop tall with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. All right, stud, I got to ask. Alabama host Tennessee this weekend, Saturday, 2.30. How you feeling about that one? Oh, geez, man. I wish we had last year's quarterback at Tennessee. <laughs> I feel a lot better. But uh, uh, that ought to be a good game, though. Uh, wow. I'm just enjoying this football, man. It's wonderful stuff. What a great country we live in. Man, absolutely. You you said you you guys have some uh, some snow in the higher elevations in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, we had our first snow uh, two nights ago. Uh, uh, probably, uh, I guess, uh, four thousand feet up in the Smokies. Wow, we got a little snow, man. Uh, so we're getting some cold weather. We are into the thirties sometimes at night already. All right, so it did not snow on you, but you could see it from a distance. Yeah, well, actually, uh, this, uh, some people uh, recorded some shots of it, took some shots, and and uh, I've seen some of the shots of the snow. Yeah. Um, I can't actually see them uh, from down here where I am in, uh, in Sevierville. But, oh, uh, gotcha. But uh, it's up there. There, there was a, the, the, obviously, the, the pictures didn't lie, so... <laughs> All right, that's awesome. Living in God's country, and good luck Saturday. So whatever happens, happens. Hey, congratulations again, Ron. Last week's Studcast was another. It was another record breaker and such an interesting and historical one. So much happened in it, and judging from the title of this one, it's called Tennessee Cage Match, Golf Loser Leaves. This one is going to be loaded, too, no doubt. Well, it certainly is, Dave. I mean, wow, this one is really loaded. And uh, having uh, no Southeastern Knoxville matches at all last studcast, uh, the Mongolian Stomper is uh, in this one. Uh, he's going to be facing Alexis Smirnoff in a cage match in Tennessee. That's where that part of the title comes from. And then Bob Armstrong is going to be returning to the Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, for the first match there in eight months. And uh, he's going to be arriving to... Uh, unheard of loser leaves match on his first night back against Ox Baker. So since the sale of the Tennessee territory in the last episode, 
there's still going to be uh, one more studcast after this one, uh, in which we're going to be talking about both territories. We'll be covering both territories in the next one, too. And in this studcast, we're going to be focusing on the last week in October of 1979. Uh, we're going to talk about Wednesday, October 24th in Mobile, and uh, two days later on Friday, October 26th in the Knoxville Coliseum. All right, good deal. So when would the new Georgia owners, Jim Barnett and Fred Ward, take over? We talked a lot about this last week and, and in previous weeks. And have the, they'll have their first Knoxville Coliseum event, Stud. So when does that happen? Okay, that's going to that's gonna happen on uh, Friday night, November 9th. Happened in uh, November 9th, 1979. And uh, there were so many things, man, that had to happen before their first night. Wow, I was just going crazy back in this time frame. There would be uh, no public announcement of the sale. Uh, they didn't want to announce it, uh, in, uh, except for you know, there was going to be one small article in the sports section of the, Ni the Knoxville newspaper, which was going to be on Sunday, November 11th, 1979. They're actually having their first match on November 9th, two days before that, uh, that article out of the newspaper. And in my opinion, and also the Georgia buyers agreed with me when we discussed it, uh, any major announcement about the sale, considering the tremendous success that we had had over the last five years, mm. uh, it wasn't going to directly benefit the new owners to, uh, to even advertise that wow. uh, they had purchased the territory. Okay. I agree with that last statement. So, I mean, what you had accomplished over that five-year period since your arrival was going to be hard to follow no matter who the new owners were going to be. So where do we ride today? How do we get started today, Stud? Well, man, we're going to begin this stud cast in Tennessee. Uh, we'll cover the October 26th, the 1979 card that I mentioned earlier. We'll talk about the TV, the results of the matches and the attendance. And I'll also talk about the many meetings that were being done by the major new owner, uh, Jim Barnett, and myself to introduce him to all the different top officials. And obviously, we had to go to the TV station. We had to deal with the Coliseum people. We went out to Chilhowee Park and talked to those people uh, because uh, he's going to be doing business with those 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 companies. And, uh, and so, uh, and then, you know, uh, we'll also discuss some of the talent swaps that were being made to make the changes of ownership less detectable to the fans uh, no need to just say to the fans, hey, look, Ron Fuller sold Southeastern and, and, and uh, you know, uh, because it, it wasn't necessary. Then we're going to ride south uh, to what's uh, going to be the one and only home of Southeastern Wrestling in Pensacola, Florida, pretty quickly after this point. And that, that's going to be the home for the next five years. Uh, Bob Armstrong, a present star uh, at this point, uh, is working in Georgia for Jim Barnett. And uh, over the last eight months, uh, he's going to make his first appearance in Southeastern since that time. So, uh, you know, uh, Bob's been gone for a while. Uh, uh, Rob's been gone for a while out of that uh, Southeastern uh, Gulf Coast territory. So uh, this was he was like the first of many uh, that would soon be returning down there. But we're going to cover the Mobile, Alabama car on October 24th, 1979. Talk about the TV that promoted that one. Talk about the results of that card. We'll talk about the attendances in all three of the major markets like we normally do down there. 
And uh, obviously, uh, Bob's going to be on those cards on those three major markets mm-hmm. for the first time in, I guess, uh, almost a year. Yeah. So uh, then, Dave, given enough time, man, we're, we're going to take a shot at maybe hopefully a, another learning tree question. Well, it definitely sounds like a full ride to me, Stud. I'm really looking forward to all the things that you mentioned for you and Jim Barnett to accomplish as part of the sale. The type of things listeners normally never get to hear about. So I think that one of the reasons of your podcast is so popular, and I think that's really behind it. No kayfabe here. So who was on that Friday, October 26th? 1979 Coliseum card in Knoxville. Well, the most important person in the building that night wasn't booked on the card. And I'm talking about Jim Barnett. I mean, you know, it was going to be his first time to see an event in the Coliseum. Mm. And uh, so uh, he had come in two days before the event uh, for me to basically take him around and introduce him. The top people, obviously, at the TV station, the Coliseum, the Chihuahua Park people, mm-hmm. uh, the newspaper, the Knoxville newspaper, and uh, and more. So uh, we'll discuss all that after we talk about the card and the results and uh, the attendance and everything that we normally do. Mm-hmm. So the opening match in the Coliseum was a Redbeard, uh, which was Doug Gilbert uh, versus Dean Hope. There were two new tag team combinations on this card. Three of the four wrestlers were coming actually out of the Georgia Territory. So we were already starting to bring in, put some of his people into our show uh, so that we could make this transition very smooth. Uh, David Schultz and Dennis Condry, uh, they were down there in Georgia working for him. And a guy named Pierre Lefevre, uh, they, those three were on this card. And, uh, Obviously, uh, Southeastern's Paul Orndorff was in this tag. So it was Pierre Lefevre and Paul Orndorff against David Schultz and Dennis Condry. Then there was a special challenge match uh, with with uh, me against uh, Jimmy Golden. Jimmy Golden had defeated my brother two weeks earlier. We hadn't had a match in Knoxville the last week. Two weeks earlier, he had defeated my brother in a Southeastern loser leave match, and uh, so. I was going to be wrestling against Jimmy Golden. Uh, Norvell was getting, Norvell Austin was getting, man, this long-awaited United States Junior Heavyweight title match with Tony Charles. He'd been asking for it. He'd been pushing for it. Uh, He was going to get that shot. Dick Slater was going to be defending his Southeastern Championship against the Southeastern Gulf Coast star, Ox Baker. And uh, then uh, the main event was a bounty. Steel cage match this time with the Mongolian Stomper against Alexis Smirnoff, who was managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And if Stomper lost uh, and he got hurt badly by the Russian, then Smirnoff was going to get the bounty money. Mm. But if uh, Smirnoff lost the match, Stomper was going to get five minutes alone in the cage with Gorgeous George Jr. (laughs) Man, that's a great card right there. You against Golden after Robert left Knoxville having lost that loser leaves match to him, two title matches and a cage match that could get Smirnoff some big time money or get Stumper's hands on gorgeous George Jr. So how about the TV that set all of this up? It had to be awesome. Well, I was back in Knoxville on this TV 
uh, I had come home. Uh, I'd kind of turned things over to Rob. He had gone south. He's going to do the booking. And, uh, and it opened up uh, with this uh, card. Uh, TV opened up with the Southeastern champion Dick Slater at the set with Les, and uh, he was going to watch an interview from his next opponent, and that opponent was Big Ox Baker, and uh, you know uh, he was obviously was eager for his championship match, is his first shot at the Southeastern Championship, so uh, Ox said you you know uh, he had his normally dignity self, uh, uh, he had taped and they had taped that down in. Uh, down in uh, Dothan and sent it up to the Knoxville station. And obviously Ox was predicting he was definitely going to be the next Southeastern champion that uh, he said, you know, Dick Slater was as vulnerable as everybody else to his heart punch. And uh, fans were going to get the thrill of seeing that move in action when he got there. And because (laughs) he wanted that belt so bad uh, and he was determined to get it, uh, he was going to, pull out all the stops, and he, if he had to, he was going to use his heart punch. So you could see Slater's anger at the end of this interview. I was watching the, Slater's face while he's watching the interview, but his only comment was, uh, well, we'll see who's got the biggest heart. So he got up right away. He was he was mad. <laughs> you know, uh, the Hawks gave him no respect, that's for sure. And he went straight to the ring, and he kind of let his actions do the talking in the ring. And he looked like he looked more like the old Dick Slater heel in his early years, man, to me in that match. And uh, and he got himself a very convincing win, <laughs> especially with the guy he was wrestling against. So then Jimmy Golden and Norville Austin they joined Les at the set uh, before the second match, and they were going to watch Jimmy's win over Robert in that loser leaves match from two weeks earlier. And uh, it was the last time, you know, the Knoxville fans had had a live event been two weeks before. So I'd never seen the match. I was obviously down south uh, dealing with uh, the southern end. And I, I was, uh, Norvell had had a hand in that victory. I watched the match. So I saw that Norvell got involved in it. And uh, Jimmy predicted, uh, you know, that, Norvell might be getting involved again next Friday because he's wrestling against me, Jimmy was this time. And uh, and it was a special no disqualification. Uh, he called it a grudge match, you know. Uh, and uh, <laughs> basically, that's a pretty good uh, explanation of it and a pretty good description of it <laughs> because I wasn't too happy about after I saw what they, what they did to my brother. Mm-hmm. So I was like Dick Slater in the first match. Uh, I watched my brother lose, you know, and I just watched this thing. And then I was the guy in the ring next. So, uh, wow, I kind of uh, went in there and emulated Slater to an effect. Uh, I let my intentions for the next Friday night's match with Golden show in the ring. And, uh, and I won with my fuller leg lock. So, uh, 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 shows off to a pretty good start. Well, it, it, I mean, it definitely sounds like two angry baby faces in the first two matches. All right, how about the personality profile? Who'd you have there? Well, Gorgeous George Jr. and his Russian, Alexis Smirnoff, and uh, they did this one live in front of the studio audience. Uh, Gorgeous George Jr. was, uh, he, was, he was not angry like Slater, you know, and uh, and I had, uh, had been in the, the first like Slater and I had been in those first two matches, uh, you know, and you could kind of see 
the apprehension, uh, he had a little apprehension and dread in his face when he sat down in the chair and uh, Smirnoff stood, stood behind him because obviously he was still Smirnoff's manager. And they watched the video from two weeks earlier, the last time we'd had matches live. And it was an NWA non-sanctioned lights out match. It was between Smirnoff and the Mongolian Stomper. Uh, Stomper uh, was pretty obvious when you watch this tape. Uh, he won the match right in the middle of the ring. But immediately after the match was over, the ring filled up with all these guys out of Gigi's dressing room. You know, and uh, and all of them went straight to Stomper. And uh, and then you could kind of tell, man, uh, Gigi had told him, hey, if my boy don't win here, uh, you guys want that money. This is what you come and get it. Right. And so obviously they were trying to hurt Stomper. And uh, so then Paul Orndorff, uh, Dick Slater, uh, Tony Charles, Dean Ho, some guys out of the other dressing room had to come down and obviously try to keep Stomper from getting hurt. And uh, so that was the obvious reason for the next match. So, and this next match between these two guys, between Smirnoff and Stomper, was going to be in a steel cage. You got that type of activity. You got the ring full of guys fighting after the match is already over. You might as well put them in the cage and keep everybody out. So it was a rare moment for Smirnoff because mm. as soon as the video ended, he just started talking and he never hardly talked at all. And he blurted out how happy he was about the cage match. <laughs> and it was going to give him another chance to win the money. You know, the money. It was like, and, uh, and he quickly realized how bad that sounded. He looked down at Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> because Gigi's got a problem here with this bat. Uh-huh. And, he, and then he added right away, he says, oh, he says, uh, you know, I already, I already, I know you already told me this is going to be my last chance to get the $10,000 bounty money. And he goes, uh, you know, my Russian family, could, they could live off that for a year. You know? <laughs> so, very unlike Smirnoff, uh, uh, Gigi had been totally silent up to this point. He hadn't said anything. So, he stopped Smirnoff right there, man. And Gigi's, you could see his obvious concern about this match was still on his face. And he, you turned to Smirnoff and he asked him, so he says, is, is my health not more important than the money? <laughs> you know, and then he said, I'm definitely, I'm not looking forward to the cage match. He goes, because if you lose, it's going to be me that's going to get in the cage. And they're going to, with that crazy stomper, and they're going to lock the door on the cage. And he says, uh, then they're going to give him five minutes to do whatever he wants to to me. <laughs> so the studio crowd, they loved it. They popped. He had painted a great <laughs> picture there of what's going to happen, possibly, you know. And then uh, he got mad. Uh, Gigi got mad at the crowd, and he screamed for him to shut up. And then he looked at him saying, you know, this is no laughing matter, you know. He says, doesn't anybody care about me, or is it just the money, you know, that means everything? <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's pleading to the studio like they're going to be on his side. He said something about, does anybody care about me? You know, uh, what about me? He goes, what about the damage the stomper could do to me in five minutes? You know, so the studio crowd answered that question with another pop. <laughs> and then they started chanting stomper, stomper, stomper. <laughs> so Les was trying basically at this point to 
regained some control of his personality profile. He always considered those profiles to be his baby, you know, but it was too late at that point. Gigi was really mad at the crowd and they were loving it. And he just jumped up from his chair and he stormed off the set and Alexis Smirnoff's tagging along behind him and he's going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's apologizing <laughs> to him for making the remarks about I'm going to win the money. That's all I care about, basically. Yeah, but but Ron, I can't believe you didn't do the math in 1979 how much $10,000 was worth in Russia. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he probably 19- could have lived, his family could have lived on it for five years. Yeah, yeah many years, maybe a decade. All right, that's a fun, uh, great profile for the fans, Ron. Uh, Not so good for gorgeous George Jr., of course. But All right, so who is in the next TV match? Well, Tony Charles was in it, and he was preparing basically for his upcoming U.S. junior title match with Norvell Austin. And uh, and just about the time that Tony was about to finish the match with his opponent, uh, here comes Norville Austin and Jimmy Golden, and they just shoot right into the ring. Tony's about to finish the guy he's working with. And, uh, you know, uh, they were intended uh, – it was pretty obvious they wanted to hurt Tony at least bad enough that Norvell would have a much better shot at beating him six days later, right? So so they stopped Tony, and uh, they threw the referee out of the ring, and then Golden – grabbed Tony and shoved his head down there between his knees and uh, he got ready to pile drive him and Norvell was getting in a position to grab Tony's legs and, and jam him down when he did. And uh, so I was watching, man. So I saw what was going to happen and I slid into the ring and I, I hit Jimmy in the back of the head and I now knocked Norvell on his rear end. And then I grabbed Jimmy up and threw him over the top rope. And then I grabbed Norvell and put his head between my knees. And then Tony grabbed his legs. And, uh, and so I piled drive Norvell and Tony jammed his head down. The studio exploded on that one. And uh, so Tony and I went to the set. The Golden's still laying out there on the floor. And I told Les, uh, you know, I said, my brother may be gone, you know, but it took two men to do it. And, uh, you know, I said, basically, next Friday night, I'm going to send one of them, Jimmy Golden, out of the ring on a stretcher with a broken leg. And at that point, you know, I said, he might as well leave Southeastern, just like my brother had to do this past week. And, you know, and I said, except there's going to be one big difference, Celeste. He said, I said to him, my brother, you know, was gone from here, uh, but uh, he was already wrestling somewhere else. He was still wrestling. But I said, when I break Jimmy Golden's leg, he's going to be out of a job. He's not going to get paid for at least six months. He's going to be laid up with a broken leg. So uh, then I pulled Tony over to me and I put my arm around him and said, to, you know, and uh, I said to Les, look, let's see how good Norvell Austin's going to do in this title match against against Tony here, man, in six days. And wow, got a big pop from the studio crowd again. Uh, so. <laughs> Jimmy got up out there about that time, and and he went back in the ring, and there's Norvell laying helpless in the ring. He's like, what happened? He didn't see it. And uh, so uh, he, you know, they came in and put Norvell on a stretcher, and they were hauling him out. Jimmy stopped by the set with Les, and he said, you know, uh, you know that the, look because uh, this ain't gonna this ain't gonna work, man. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this come next Friday night. So, uh, me and Jimmy are going to be head to head. 
All right, cool deal. All right, so the the TV was getting better and better. How did you end the show? Well, the Mongolian Stomper, uh, he was in the last match, and uh, he ended it with a big bang. I'm telling you, the <laughs> studio crowd, they started into that chant, man. They were, they were, Stomper was over, and they got the old Stomper, Stomper, Stomper going, and wow, wow that just turned him on, and it, uh, it kind of uh, it forced uh, Gigi f- uh, from the studio during the profile, the same chant that ran Gigi out of there, they got it fired up again, and uh, and Stomper, wow, he stomped his way to victory. Mm-hmm. He normally did, and, and the show ended up with everybody in the studio on their feet. All right, and see, to me, that's the that's how you end the show because everybody's like, oh my god, I gotta be there for the big event. So obviously, another great TV. So what did happen the next Friday night in the Coliseum? Dino beat Redbeard. Uh, both both these two tag teams look great, man. Uh, David Schultz and Dennis Convy made a really, really good team. And those guys look so much alike, too, and both had the long hair at that point. And, uh, and they won the match uh, with uh, Pierre Lefevre and Paul Orndorff. They beat Lefevre. I mean, nobody was beating Paul Orndorff back in those days. He was, he was really hot. And then I beat Jimmy Golden in a special grudge match. And and when I went for the fuller leg lock, he left the ring, you know, uh, and he went straight to the dressing room and he got counted out. I mean, he heard, he heard me say that, you know, uh, I, I'm going to break his leg and he's not going to have any food to eat for a while. <laughs> so, you know, he just left the ring. Well, I went to the fuller leg lock. He was able to get to the ropes. Referee made me break. He just went straight to the dressing room. He didn't care. Counted me out and had counted him out, and they raised my hand. Uh, Tony Charles successfully defended his belt against Norvell Austin, and uh, Norvell Austin arrived down at the ring with a protective neck brace on his neck. He wasn't really that totally well uh, six days later. So then in the Southeastern Championship match, the Angel, Frank Morrell, uh, came down to help out Ox Baker. Uh, Ox Baker against Dick Slater, and uh, and then it was causing caused the match to be stopped, and Slater obviously was declared the winner. Uh, Baker was disqualified, and uh, so Ox and the Angel were working him over, and uh, and Paul Orndorff came down, which he had happened two weeks ago. Paul Orndorff had to come down and help out Dick. These two guys were really close; they were both from Tampa, and uh, you know, so they were really really good friends. So Paul was watching that match. He went down and. He kind of rescued Slater from uh, probably getting hurt. So then they had the cage match. You know, and that cage match was all stomper, man. <laughs> I mean, all stomper. He beat Smirnoff, man, like a, like a stepchild. You know, and they drove the fans crazy during the match. And then, uh, and then he got the five minutes. And he whipped George, George Jr. all over the ring. I mean, I watched it. It was like, son of a gun. He's going to kill Gorgeous George <laughs> Jr. Wow. And, uh, you know, he took the whole five minutes, too, man. <laughs> and I'm sure, Gigi, you could almost hear him from way back where I was <laughs> screaming, open the gate, let me out. You know, but uh, so, so when Stomper left, Gigi didn't. They they had to put him on a stretcher, and they hauled him out of there. Yeah, when you got, only got five minutes, you really want to make the best of it and and – 
take your time and do it right. Wow. So, all right. So how about the attendance for this one had to be, had to be improved and tell us what kind of things did you do with Jim Barnett a couple of days before these matches in the Coliseum? What kind of, what kind of person was he to like to hang around and did you spend two days with him? Oh yeah, man. Uh, you know, so let's, let's do the crowd. The, the crowd was a uh, 3,200. It was uh, up 500 from mm-hmm. the week from two weeks earlier, but it was still nowhere near what they, we used to draw that time of year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, and so Jim was Jim, Jim Barnett and I had a great relationship. Uh, Jim was a really close friends with my dad. In fact, they were partners in Australia in 1973. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad spent uh, most of that year in Australia. So, uh, you know, I'd spent a lot of time with Jim and, uh, so we did the rounds. I call it the rounds, man. Uh, we met all these important people, went to the TV station, and which, uh, wow, the people were so complimentary of me to Jim. You know, they were like, wow, Ron came here, and, you know, we really didn't know whether we wanted to take a chance on putting wrestling on our station. And uh, they said, so do you realize we have an 80 share in Barnett? Right. Up either. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he, he says, what, how much, what's that share? <laughs> they have an 80 share. <laughs> Barnett's face lit up like, wow. <laughs> what was the little thing you used to say about Jim Barnett? Money, yeah, money, 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 money. <laughs> there you go, man. So, and that's what he saw is that when he heard that 80 share, he went with the Coliseum. We met the manager who was a great guy that I had done business with for five years at this point. Uh, went out to Chilhowee Park because Barnett was going to need to go there sometimes. And, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of introduced him around, uh, you know. And uh, But uh, it, it had been a kind of a well-kept secret uh, until the war started, uh, you know, about, uh, about what was going on here. So the first thing uh, they did, uh, uh, you know, when they got uh, up and rolling and created their all-star wrestling, the very first thing they did is they went to the newspaper and told them that Ron Fuller owns Southeastern Wrestling. Couldn't wait to do that. <laughs> wow. So, you know, uh, so Jim told me, you know, uh, he needed, Jim, Jim was very honest with me about everything. And uh, he said, Ron, uh, I need a local front man for, 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 for me and my company, obviously, uh, I did that for five years. Nobody knew I owned the company. There was no need for anybody to know that Jim Barnett owned the company. Uh, you know, so, uh, so, you know, and he says, do you know, uh, you know, anybody that might fit the, fit the, the, what I need, you know? So last time, oddly enough, Les Thatcher and I had met by accident, a very well-known lifelong citizen of Knoxville in my first year there uh, in 1975. And uh, this guy had been involved in many things uh, in, in that area. Grew up there. Uh, he was a, sc- a school teacher at one time. He was a coach at one time. He became a Wells Fargo representative. He was in so many different things. And, and we met him by accident in a T-shirt shop because he owned the T-shirt shop. And uh, we just went in there. Les out of nowhere says, oh, let's go in that T-shirt shop. And we went in there. And obviously, as soon as we walked in the door, he recognized us, and which wasn't uncommon. But this guy's intellect and persona was uncommon. Uh, 
And he also loved the sport of wrestling. He was crazy about wrestling, uh, but he had been in so many other businesses. So this guy's name is Bob Polk. He's still alive. He lives up uh, in the Northeast now. And, uh, and he's still to the day, to this day, one of the most important people I ever met. And, uh, and over the, 40, the next 48 years of my life, uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time with Bob Polk. And uh, so he would become an intricate part of uh, my Continental Wrestling Company in 1985. Uh, that's when we brought wrestling back into the South, the old Southeastern Territory in 1985. And after I sold Continental, he became a partner with me in the USA Wrestling in Knoxville in 1988. And finally, he became a partner with me in the hockey teams in both Nashville and Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, so when Barnett asked me if I had any idea for a very good front man for him to represent his new wrestling company, I had the perfect guy, you know. So Jim was, uh, and as soon as Jim met him, you know, that's another of the things we did in those two days. Uh, brought Bob Polk in and introduced him to Jim, and Jim loved him. Jim was like, wow, Ron, this guy's great. He's perfect. So, so during the entire time that Jim was there and he owned the company, uh, he, he, he always had Bob Pope as, as the front man. He was the guy that represented Southeastern Wrestling. All the way until Jim sold Knoxville. And he ended up selling Knoxville uh, about two years later to Blackjack Mulligan and Ric Flair. So, you know... Uh, so I could go on and on, Dave, you know, about the things that that we had to do. Yeah. But but I'll, I want to spend some time uh, in each of these next studcasts. Uh, we'll spend a lot more time talking about the exchange of southeastern Knoxville, uh, you know, with the other territory. So before we leave today, however, you know, uh, on this subject, let's talk about how we handled the change in talent. Yeah, definitely. To their territory. I'm, I'm very curious about that part. It was it, it was a critical part of this equation is who's going to stay, who's going to go, how are we going to do this? So I let the wrestlers know, obviously, as soon as I made the deal, first people that I told about it was my wrestlers. And I want to do that to give them an opportunity to let me know if they, they were going to leave or if they wanted me to decide what they I wanted to do. So uh, I told them about selling the territory, and I told them who I sold it to. Uh, Jim Barnett's name was big time in wrestling, and uh, all the crew, everybody, you know, they look at each other as soon as I say uh, sold it to Barnett in Atlanta. Hmm. And Fred Ward, you know, uh, Fred Ward was a minor, minor, minor name, but hmm. wow, Jim Barnett was a huge name in wrestling. So everybody's like, wow, Harnett's coming here, you know? So, uh, so it was the only way to handle my business, you know? And, and that way I wasn't going to leave my wrestlers with having no place to work. All of a sudden, uh, there's another company there and Ron says, okay, guys, y'all are through tonight. And, you know, so I, I felt like that was important to do it that way. So Alexis Smirnoff and Dean Hope, uh, they came to me right away and they gave me a two week notice. Uh, I don't think either one of them was going to get a spot with Barnett. Hmm. Uh, and I think they probably knew that. And uh, so they finished their run, obviously. And uh, since I only had one territory after this sale, obviously 
I wasn't going to have a spot for all these wrestlers that I currently had. I was going to be picking and choosing uh, who was a, who I was going to send south and uh, who I was going to let go. So I gave basically Barnett his choice of my crew. I said, Jim, you know, uh, you've seen these guys, you know these guys and their reputation. Uh, who do you want? Wow. Uh, and he watched the matches that night, all the matches that night. And, uh, you know, and I said, you can have everybody here except for Jimmy Golden. Right. And I said, that's because Jimmy's a part of my Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, business down there. And Jimmy's going to be going to Florida. Hmm. You know? So uh, Jim was extremely sharp, man, as a judge of talent. He always was. And, uh, and he had a great reputation for paying, too. So. You know, if you got into his crew, you were, you were, you had to be good and you were in a good situation. So, uh, and he always had a very good crew of his own in every business he ever ran. He was a huge, huge, uh, 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 per, per, well known and respected, maybe more than anybody in the, in the country. Mm. And, 40s and the 50s, way, way back in America before he went to Australia. So uh, out of the crew, he told me when the night was over, we sat down, me and him, I said, who do you want? He said, I want Dick Slater, who's your booker, you know, and they, obviously it was smart. He's going to keep a guy that's kind of been booking here. Uh, he said, uh, I want Ox Baker. Okay. That made sense to me. I mean, yeah. Ox is a Ox was at the top of his game back in those days. Yeah, yeah. Then he said, he said, I want the angel, Frank Morrell. <laughs> and uh, I really couldn't figure that one out. You know, I was like, wow, you know, how, how come? And Frank hadn't even wrestled on the card that night. But, uh, you know, he, he saw that he was in the dressing room. And mm. I don't know why, but uh, out of nowhere, he says, I want the angel Frank Morrell, and then then he and then uh, then he said, "I want Paul Orndorff." <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I knew, right? <laughs> I, said, I knew, and I don't think it was the first time Jim Barnett ever laid eyes on Paul Orndorff. Wow, wow. <laughs> so, so, and he says, "I want Paul Orndorff." <laughs> yeah, I, I almost broke up laughing. You know, I thought I, I was thinking, "Boy, I guess you do, man." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so in exchange, I said, he said, "Okay, you know, I'm to do the same thing for you, Ron." You know, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that are in my crew. Uh, who do you want from my crew? You know, and uh, so. Uh, I, I, I just uh, instantly, man, I knew exactly who I wanted out of his crew. And I said, uh, I want Bob Armstrong to come <laughs> home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he kind of smiled at me, and I guess he was thinking the same thing. Well, I guess mm. you do. Yeah. Because Bob was his top baby face. So, right. So uh, he didn't really like to, like to give him up, but gosh, he got four guys in return for it. Wow. So, uh, so we got a long ride ahead of us here today. So, uh, so I want to kind of leave Tennessee at this point, and uh, and we'll get back to this discussion again in the next studcast, in the next couple of two or three studcasts of how this uh, exchange of this territory takes place. 
Well, really quickly before we go to the break, about what age? Because when Bob was coming with you, he was eventually going to bring a gym full of people, his sons. How how old were the boys back then? Do you remember roughly? Oh, oh the boys were getting there. The, Brad was going to be wrestling in uh, less than two years. He's going to be in the ring. Wow. Yeah. That's the first. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. And uh, two years after Brad, you Scott follows, then Steve yeah. follows. Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, so, so, you know, bringing Bob, Bob was uh, one of the greatest decisions I ever made. Yeah. Make Bob Armstrong a part of that territory down there, that southeastern Gulf Coast territory. And I didn't make that decision based upon his sons. Yeah. Boy, did it work out unbelievable for everybody, all of us. Yeah. The Armstrong Army was in the way. So that's that's really cool. All right. Really fascinating stuff, Stud. I'm sure no wrestling podcast in the world there's none where fans can get this type of history and information. All right, when we come back after the break, we're going to be riding into Mobile, Alabama for a loser leave match between Ox Baker and Bob Armstrong. That's coming up right here on this Studcast. All right, and on the subject of the break, Stud, I know you got something coming up this Saturday exclusively on your Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel. It's Ask the Stud, question and answer, episode number 10. That happens this Saturday. Tell us what's up. Oh, wow, man. You know, these things are so good, Dave. I really, really love doing these. And uh, I get so uh, so many wonderful comments. The questions are amazing. I got extremely knowledgeable fans out there, man. People that that know wrestling and... uh, and then, and then I get them from everywhere, man. I got another one in this one that's coming up, a question coming out of Australia, uh, you know. So, uh, and it's just, uh, I really, really enjoy doing them. This, this next one is the 10th one, uh, which is, uh, you know, crazy. I never thought I'd end up doing 10 of these, uh, but uh, I'm doing them once a month. And it does come out. This one comes out on Saturday, the 21st of October. And uh, it's going to be there on on right there on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind, uh, Ask the Stud number 10. And, uh, wow, it's going to be really, really great. Uh, got tremendous questions, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, the reaction I'm going to be getting uh, once this one starts to, to be played. And, uh, like I said, uh, they can look for it uh, this coming Saturday, October the 21st. All right, cool deal. If you've never checked it out, it's YouTube. Everybody knows YouTube. Then in the search bar, put in Southeastern Rewind. And you are not going to, if you've never been there, you're not going to believe how much is loaded onto Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. you got to check it out. It's old school. It is the best in old school professional wrestling. Okay, back into another incredible studcast with the Tennessee stud. Hey, y'all, it's David Summers. Welcome back in. We're now in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. For the last part of this studcast, this is episode number 321. Can you believe that? 321 of these. All right, so I guess at this point in 1979, Stud, since you had already made the deal to sell your Knoxville territory, we could start in we could start to refer maybe to the southeastern Gulf Coast territory as simply southeastern. Did did that uh, did that work for you also? Is that how you called it? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Southeastern was a, 
there was just one for many, many years. And then uh, we had a second one. And uh, now I'm back down to one of them. And uh, so obviously that's the one I have chosen to uh, to deal with is down south on the Gulf Coast. And uh, so we're very, we're very close to being able to just call the Gulf Coast down there southeastern. Uh, we're going to be having, uh, you know, have a, my last uh, southeastern matches in the Knoxville Coliseum. In fact, in this next studcast will be the last matches that I ever had in the Coliseum uh, for years. And we're going to come back years later. The Gulf Coast Territory is a uh, is going to soon be uh, the only home of southeastern. So yeah, we'll be able to call it that. So in uh, this point, uh, I'm going to still say call it Southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, because we had several wrestlers that had given me their notice of leaving in, in the last month since I had been doing the booking there. I went down about a month ago and took over and for Louis Tillette and uh, kind of got things rolling down there. And uh, so all of these wrestlers, they, these guys that had given me notices were very good wrestlers, three of which had been brought in by the former booker, Louis Tillette. Uh, Herb Calvert, great wrestler. Great amateur, uh, uh, the gladiator, Dick Steinborn. Wow, a tremendous talent in so many ways, other than just as a wrestler. And Austin Idol, and all three of those guys that had given me a notice. And uh, so, uh, and, and that was because, you know, they were kind of uh, involved. Uh, Louis had brought them in, and uh, that's kind of the way business worked. Uh, they, now the, the Louis was no longer there. They weren't as comfortable as they should have been. There was a fourth guy, Mike Stallings. Uh, and obviously, Stallings didn't come in from Louie. He came in from me. I got in touch with him and Jerry Stubbs when Louie started losing some of his guys. So, uh, and as soon as I took the book, uh, I got in touch with Stubbs. Stubbs told me Stallings uh, and him would come in right away. So he had decided, you know, uh, Jerry and uh, Mike Stallings, that his wrestling career was over. He hmm. he told me, Ron, I, I'm I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I, I'm done. Wow. You know? So uh, this was there was a lot of guys uh, to be leaving. You know, there's going to be a bunch of this going on in the next short period of time because of what's happening here. So it was one of the reasons I'd made the quick decision, man, to sell the Tennessee territory. Uh, the southeastern Gulf Coast territory had been very strong at the box office. Over the last month or five weeks that I had been down there, and uh, and I knew that these openings left by these quality guys had to be filled, and they had to be filled with comparable wrestlers, you know, mm -hmm. yep. and as soon as possible. And uh, those wrestlers were going to come, obviously, uh, from the Tennessee Territory. Oh, no doubt. All right, so that being the case, Ron, what was the card for Mobile, Alabama's Expo Hall, Wednesday night, October 24th, 1979? Where's the homecoming for Bob Armstrong and for my brother, Robert Fuller, who had just been there one week uh, at this point. Uh, so they had both gone from the Gulf Coast, uh, been gone for almost a year. And, and they were about to be uh, more dramatic changes in talent in the Gulf Coast territory. Uh, there were dramatic changes in talent uh, coming for fans in the former Southeastern Territory up there, up north in Knoxville as well. So this mobile card was also going to happen and Montgomery and Dothan uh, the same week, and uh, it was a triple main event. First match uh, was a new wrestler that I, I didn't know very much about, 
Uh, we were short of guys. I took a guy named Tom Shaft. Uh, he was wrestling a veteran star in that part of the country, a wrestler my family had grown up with, and a former star from my dad in the 1960s and 70s. And uh, we'd not been able to book him very often since we went down there. And, uh, you know, he was getting a little up in years. But uh, I'm talking about Greg Peterson, and you'll be very familiar with that name. Yeah. yeah. So the wrestling pro was uh, called on again uh, to take uh, to, uh, to come in and uh, take up some spots that were being vacated. And uh, he was going to be facing uh, the hunter, rock hunter, Roy Lee Welch, uh, been handling the box offices and, and lots of the business down there by himself, was going to be back in tights as well versus the Inferno. And then there were first of three of main events was the Southeastern Championship. The new champion, Kevin Sullivan, was defending against the longtime heel in that territory down there. In fact, he was there from the beginning, the Southeastern Gulf Coast in 1978, and he had been there a long time in 1979, uh, Eddie Mansfield. Second main event was another title match. This one was for the Southeastern Tag Belts of the Assassins. And it was a special two out of three falls match with the champions, the assassins, defending against my brother Robert and Jerry Stubbs. For the second time, they were going to get the shot at the titles. The third main event was originally scheduled as a regular match between Ox Baker, the wrestler who had beat the Hulk the week before down there in a loser leave Southeastern match. He basically ran the Hulk out of the territory. And in uh, the big man's first week back there, he came in and he was gone. And uh, this time, Ox was against uh, the returning superstar, Bob Armstrong. Wow, and I can't mm. overplay that superstar. He really was. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, regular style match was going to be changed to something much more important. And it was going to happen on the TV show that promotes this card. Wow. Okay. So a really good card. Two championship matches. For Southeastern belts, no doubt, plus the return of Bob Armstrong. All right, so with so many guys leaving, now obviously I see why you chose you chose to keep Bob Armstrong in that trade of talent with Jim Barnett. So in the first part of this stud cast, you, you laid that out very well. All right, so what happened on the TV show that changed the third main event for this card from just a regular match between Bob Armstrong and the incredible, the ugly Ox Baker. I'm just curious. So who was booking this TV and, and the territory? Well, uh, let's answer the booking question first. Uh, actually, it was kind of uh, two bookers, basically. Rob was down there, and now Bob was coming in. And so they're going to work together, man, uh, as booking bookers down there. And uh, hopefully they're going to be able to keep this momentum we had going that I had created over the last four or five weeks down there as the booker. So now let's get to the TV show. And it opened up, obviously, with an extremely confident, as always, Ox Baker at the set with Charlie Platt. And uh, they watched the video from Mobile from three nights earlier where Ox Baker beat the Hulk Hogan. And they sent him packing uh, after Hulk had just come back there for about a week sent him out of the uh, Southeastern Territory. And uh, that's basically where Ox wanted to be focused in this in this match, you know. And he started as soon as it was over, you know, and he showed him beat the Hulk. He bragged about single-handedly now 
he says to, to, to Charlie, I'm going to take over Southeastern Wrestling here, man. He goes, and, 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 and he said, last month I ran Ron Fuller out of this part of the country. Last week, he said, I ran the Hulk out of this part of the country. <laughs> and this week, he goes, uh, uh, the loser uh, is going to be called, that's going to be so-called, the, the, uh, the, who is a so-called big star in this part of the country, uh, Bob Armstrong, he's going to be leaving as soon as he gets here, just like the Hulk. So uh, Charlie was shocked kind of shocked at what he was saying, you know, and so he questioned Knox about how he was going to, how he's going to get rid of Bob Armstrong in his first week back. And he says, especially since the match you're in with him is just a regular match. So Ox corrected him immediately. And he said, uh, he said, Charlie Platt, he goes, I am never in just a regular match. <laughs> There's nothing regular about me. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I got the hook to commit to a loser leave match last week, didn't I? And he's gone. And he said, I'm going to get Bob Armstrong to commit to one this week. Because I'm going to ride, because I'm going to rule Southeastern Wrestling. He said to Charlie, he says, hell, I might even buy the company. And he goes, and he said, I might, then I'll shake things up around here. And he says, when I do buy the company, he says, you know who's the first person to be fired? You, Charlie Platt. <laughs> And then, he, and then he got up and he went to the ring, man. And he said on his way out, he says, now I'm going to go to the ring and I'm going to hurt somebody. <laughs> so Charlie was kind of speechless. <laughs> and the Ox just entered the ring and for the first TV match of the day. And uh, so my brother Rob told me uh, after the TV show, because Rob was down there, I was up north. And uh, he said it didn't take long for Ox Baker to baby to, to pulverize the young kid, man. And then, <laughs> then he said he hung him up running that extended hammerlock hold that you told me that he did to you a few weeks before that. He goes, wow, because I saw that hold. It was horrible. Wow. All right, so it really, obviously, it sounds like Ox ba Baker is off to a roaring start. All right, who was up next? Kevin Sullivan, he was, uh, you know, he had his championship belt with him. He went to the set with Charlie. And, uh, you know, uh, Rob said Kevin got a standing ovation from the studio audience. And Rob was just kind of the first week down there, you know. And he said, God, I was shocked. He goes, Kevin's been down there for only a month, and he's a big star. And then he says, you know, uh, Charlie and Sullivan, uh, they, they watched a uh, uh, shocking defeat. Uh, and that's what it truly was. Uh, he, against Austin Idol in a loser leave match uh, that was in Mobile from three days earlier, just like the last the video that had been shown. And uh, gotcha, you know, Sullivan had become somewhat of an overnight sensation. Idol had hardly been beaten since he'd been there at all. So Sullivan, uh, you know, so Sullivan went to the ring. It was his turn. And after the video, and boy, he lit up the studio crowd again, man, and got himself another big win. Then Rob said the personality profile was just tremendous. He said it was done live from the profile set. And uh, he said, obviously, people were sitting right next to the bleachers where the fans sat. And he said, Charlie opened it up by himself. And, uh, and then he said that, uh, you know, uh, people didn't know uh, that Bob Armstrong was even there. They hadn't seen him at all in months, right? So uh, Charlie opened up the profile by himself. And then he introduced the star that, they, like I said, that they hadn't seen in almost a year, uh, Bob Armstrong. 
And when Bob came out of the back dressing room into the studio, that crowd, Rob said, I never heard a crowd this day. went nuts. He goes, uh, so Rob said, uh, you know, and then he said, in, in typical Bob fashion, he said, he didn't go straight to Charlie. He went to the bleachers and he went around the bleachers and shook hands with as many people as possible. Rob said, I said, watch that, Ronnie. I said, I got chill bumps, man. I mean, Bob was so over. He said, I never realized, never saw anybody over like that. So then Charlie welcomed Bob to the set, and they got right into the reason he, he was there, basically. Bob told Charlie he had watched the start of the show uh, on the monitor back in the dressing room, and he saw what Ox Baker had to say about him. You know, and, uh, and, and he said, you know, I'm here, Charlie, just to do what I do. For a living, same thing I do everywhere I go. He goes, uh, I'm going to go into that ring. I'm going to make fans as happy as I possibly can, and I'm going to come out a winner. And he said, you know, ox baker or no ox baker, he says, I'm not going to bow down to any man. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So, uh, and then just as it had happened in the week before when the Hulk was there and doing the live deal on the profile, out bust ox baker out of the dressing room on the far side of the studio, and he comes over to the profile set. And he don't get right <laughs> close enough for Bob to get get, get with him, <laughs> but he stops short of getting to this actual set with Charlie and him. And then Charlie gets up out of his seat, and he uh, warned Ox to keep his distance and don't make a scene here. And, uh, and Ox had, in the first match, he didn't have his fist tape. He had taped one of his fists. In which, you know, that kind of indicated that he had plans he was going to use it, you know. And they kind of growled. He made him, you know, he had that really low voice anyway. Bob never got up. He didn't, he wasn't that perturbed. He just sat there. And he says, uh, you know, he says, uh, you're going to spend, he goes, uh, you know, he says, I'm not going to spend a bunch of weeks and matches against you like I did with your friend Ron Fuller. He says, and he says, uh, he said, I tell you what, I'm demanding a loser leaves Southeastern match with you the very first time that we meet in the ring. <laughs> and he says, if I lose, he goes, I'll gladly leave this pitiful part of the country. <laughs> and then fans booed that lustfully, man. They didn't think much of that. And he goes, but, uh, but I'm not going to lose. So, you know, fans were really booing him and then Bob stood up. And wow, that I mean that studio went silent, you know. And he's he said to Ox, he says, uh, he said, first of all, I don't take demands. Rob showed me this. He said it was great. He said, first of all, I don't take demands. And he said, in your case, Ox, I will make commands. <laughs> he said, we're booked in a regular match, <laughs> and that is what we're gonna have. Hmm. <laughs> and the fans popped, you know, and uh Ox wasn't through, though, you know, so he drove his tape fist into his hand two or three times. And then he said, you will give me a loser leave match before this TV show is over. And he walked back to his dressing room. So Charlie apologized to Bob for the interference. And then first time back, Bob, and you're in the profile here. I really apologize, you know, and uh so, uh, you know, and he said, uh, since you returned, uh, you know, we're glad to have you back. And uh, and we're looking forward to your match. You're actually wrestling in the last match on the show today. And uh, so then he threw it up to the ring. 
to the announcer. We went straight always from out of the profile right into the third match. So he threw it up to the ring to the profile to the announcer, and I think it was Gauze, John Gauze, that was probably the announcer back in those days. So uh, John uh, already <laughs> was in the ring, and uh, and then uh, he announced the, the team. There was the team that was going to be wrestling was obviously going to be a tag match. He announced those two guys, and then out came Robert and Stubbs out of the dressing room. They got another pop from the crowd, and Rob and Jerry, man, they made a very good team. Man. Uh, Jerry could wrestle really well. It didn't make any difference who he had as a partner, mm-hmm. and so was Rob pretty darn good. And uh, they were going to be a force to be dealt with for the Assassins, the champions. So, and, and speaking of the Assassins, uh, they went and joined Charlie at the set while this match was on. And uh, they watched their opponents in the ring. And Charlie told me later, you know, he said the Assassins, they couldn't, they, they couldn't hardly hide their respect for this team, you know, and they were very complimentary of them as the match went on. And I wasn't surprised to hear that because those two masked guys, I'm telling you, uh, they were sharp guys, and uh, and they gained a lot of respect because they they did. They Charlie said they really made a made these guys look good. Wow, All right, this this TV show really similar to the Knoxville TV show earlier in the Studcast. It was just getting better and better as it went. So it seems. All right, so was it time for Bob's match by now? Yeah, so it certainly was. We're at the end of the show, and. Uh, and boy, did the crowd enjoy, boy, enjoy, enjoy Bob. Uh, Bob was at the top of his game, and, uh, and you know. And I remember Rob telling me about it. And he said, he said he was moving around the ring like a machine. <laughs> That's the way he described it. So, and and I'm sure Bob, and I'm sure knowing Bob, he was probably adding a little dancing to it too, man. Even though he was, this was years before the bullet. Yeah. Is going to be bad to the <laughs> right, bone. Right. But uh, I'm sure he had a little dancing going on, too. Rob said uh, Bob, uh, you know, uh, hooked his opponent in a sleeper hole. End of the match. And he said the studio got up. They all just stood up. And and uh, and here came Ox. He shot out of the dressing room, came in the ring. And uh, behind Bob's back, Bob's got the sleeper on the guy. And he blasted him in the back with his tape fist, and uh, Bob went down on his face. And when he rolled over, uh, Ox sat down in his chest, and he took his time. He grabbed his forehead, and he busted his right eye, man. Well, I hit him with a, with a prop set of, wow, it's a, you could hear it pop. And uh, then he kept pounding his face, and the blood started running. And I don't think uh, Ox really expected uh, Bob to, fight like he did, Mm. you know, because I don't believe Ox had had very many matches against Bob Armstrong. Wow. So Bob fought up from there, man. Rob said like a madman. And as soon as Bob got to his feet, Baker took a powder, man. He went for the dressing room. And uh, so show was almost over, but there was enough time left for Bob to, to, to go back into the dressing room, a commercial break there for two minutes, kind of gather himself a little bit. And, uh, and they came out for the last interview. And he, he had a white towel, and at this point, it was partially covered with blood, and he kept wiping blood away as he was talking in this interview. And uh, so he ended, Rob said, uh, you know, something about, uh, you know, this, this isn't my first busted eye, Charlie, <laughs> nor is my first rodeo. Hmm. And he said, all I have to say to you, Box Baker, 
is your own. <laughs> I'm accepting your challenge for a lose and leave Southeastern match. And he goes, and you can start packing right now. Yeah, I've never heard Bob back down. Really, that's an incredible interview, a real interview. Bob was such a great talent, a great talker, the best ever on camera. So what a great TV show. So how about in the arenas after all this? Well, the newcomer, Tom Shaft, got a win over Greg Peterson. The wrestling pro, Tarzan Baxter, won over the hunter, Brock Hunter. Roy Lee Welch got a win over the Inferno. Kevin Sullivan successfully defended his title against Eddie Mansfield. Robert and Jerry Stubbs won the Southeastern belts from the Assassins in that two out of three fall match. Uh, Bob Armstrong won the loser leave Southeastern match over Ox Baker. Uh, Ox uh, wouldn't be back in the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory for three years. In 1982, he's going to come back and he's going to join forces with the New Zealand sheep herders. Wow. <laughs> wow. Talk about a bad tandem, man. A trio of bad dudes. There we are. I can see the picture without looking at it. Wow. All right. So how about the attendances in those three major cities for this particular week? Well, Montgomery went from 36 to 37. and went up. Uh, Mobile went up, too, from 5,000 to 5,200. And, uh, and Dothan went from 45 to 4,700. So every city was up again, and it had been up for five, four or five weeks in a row. This territory really doing great. Uh, the three cities combined count uh, that I've kind of been doing, uh, it went from a total of uh, 13,100 a week before up to 13,600 when you added up all three of those cities. And all three of those cities, every one of those cities down there beat Knoxville attendance all three of them. wow and and they averaged beating him by 1300 fans in each of those cities. wow that should have made you feel a lot better about your decision to sell the tennessee territory i already believe man i'd made the right decision as to which territory i needed to keep uh, but for years i gotta say dave i, I miss tennessee yeah it seems like it we're in your online from tennessee right now right yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We can tell, Ron. All right. Listen, this has been another tremendous ride into pain and glory, stud. So I'm sorry, but we're not going to have time for a learning tree question today. We are now learning a lot more than just what was happening each week. Hopefully, listeners are getting a better idea of what ownership of a wrestling company really entailed. And it's no wonder so many fans worldwide consider this podcast to be unique among wrestling podcasts. So where do we ride next week, Ron? How do we get it done? Well, we're going to be entered in November 1979. Uh, we'll be taking a close look at the last wrestling event that I was going to do there for years. And I'm going to, we were going to be promoting uh, in the original uh, the Southeastern Wrestling Territory. Uh, we weren't going to be back there for six years. And when we returned to Knoxville in 1985, the company is going to come in with a totally different name, a totally different TV show, all different talent. So uh, next studcast, uh, we're going to dig a little deeper into the exchange between the new Southeastern Territory, now located in Pensacola, and uh, both of the Georgia promoters' operations, especially with talent. We're going to have a lot of discussion about talent next week. Uh, when we ride south uh, next week into the old Gulf Coast Territory, 
there was going to be a flood of great wrestlers headed there, man. We're, we're going to load that thing up quick. I took a lot of coordination, basically. It, it took a lot to find out who I wanted to keep and who I didn't and who I could and who I couldn't afford to keep. So we basically tried to keep the same size crew in the new Southeastern, but uh, have all the wrestlers that we had, every wrestler in the crew, to be a top guy. Uh, there weren't many territories that had that ever. So we were having to fill the holes at the present time. But finally, when we got a handle on it by uh, December of 1979, uh, we're going to make that thing rock. And, and I'll try to get a little more on the personal side of how it felt to, to have a dream, to give up my dream, man, my two-territory dream, and, uh, and talk a little bit more of what I really thought I would could accomplish if I could have kept that uh, two territory thing together. Mm -hmm. So it's been difficult, man, to trying to cover two territories in each stud cast. When I get back to only one territory, which is going to be soon, then I'm going to have more time to, to spend uh, on things like my personal thoughts. Uh, and I want to thank all my listeners out here for your continued support. The, the ride, I got, the ride's going to be changing a little bit. I got to tell you that, <laughs> but believe it or not, it's going to become phenomenal. Oh, I absolutely believe it, Stud. You are now coming to my part of the country. You are bringing some of the best wrestlers, some of the biggest crowds and brightest angles anywhere in the world. So I know what's coming. I've experienced it every week, and it is going to blow listeners away. No doubt about it. Hey, folks, you know the deal. Find Ron on Facebook at Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud. Like and follow him there. Automatically become friends with a living legend. On Twitter, same thing. It's also known as X. On Twitter, X. It's Ron Fuller Welch. Follow him there, too. Check out the fantastic website, tnstud.com. This studcast will be there with every studcast ever done. Shop the stud store at tnstud.com. You can get 43 super studcast t-shirts, four different 8x10 photos, and the thrilling lion novel, Brutus. You can even get it autographed by the stud to you and you can get that done right there at tnstud.com. Subscribe now at YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Get the best in old school wrestling. Find 350 videos, the last 98 stud cast, 52 stud stories, 76 short rides with the stud. And don't miss this Saturday, October 21st. We talked about this earlier. The Ask the Stud number 10 question and answer show. It's going to be awesome. That's YouTube Southeastern Rewind, the best in old school wrestling. Any final words today, Stud? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, want, as, as usual, man, I want to thank everybody. Uh, really, really appreciate everybody's support. Uh, and uh, please take care of yourselves and others out there. And uh, may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.